Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of The Lowdown. Today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by the CEO of Forest Green Rovers, Henry Stalens. Henry, welcome to the show. Thanks, Connor. Good to be here. Henry, obviously, before we delve into the current, I mean, what was your earliest football memory? How did you find the game of football at a young age? I was obsessed with it. Um, I grew up, I don't know why, I, I grew up in Cheltenham, but for some reason I was an, an avid Liverpool fan. Um, had the candy kits, um, sort of the times of like Barnes and Rush and then later on McManaman, and Fowler Owen, etc. Um, and then, yeah, had a, had, a, had a small garden, but we built like a sort of like a couple of full-size football goals in it, which took the whole width of the garden um, and just spent, yeah, pretty much my whole childhood there um, playing with friends. So, yeah, always been a bit obsessed with it. And obviously, we've all come to know you in the industry from the executive level. But did you have any playing career at all whatsoever, Henry? Yeah, I think like like most kids, I wanted to be a professional footballer. Um, I won't use the thing that most people say where they say they had a bad knee, um, so they couldn't make it. No, I was I was technically very good, but mentally I wasn't strong enough. Um, I went through various academies um, in the southwest. Um, ended up going to sixth form college at Sirencester, but they've got a really good academy there actually at Siren Siren Academy. Um, but didn't last very long in terms of my academic work. So I left the academy um, before I graduated. That was at 16. Um, and so, yeah, I would love to be a professional footballer, but uh, it wasn't to be. And um, yeah, I'd probably do the next best thing now, I guess. And obviously where you are today, Forest Green Rovers, as officially declared by FIFA as the greenest club in world football, what were the set of circumstances that led to your arrival there? My personal ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, like I said, I left school at 16. Um, I tried getting jobs and stuff and just didn't, couldn't keep a job. I, was, I worked in pretty much every shop in Cheltenham. Uh, I, uh, so and then I got to a point where I just thought, all right, I'm, I've got very little qualifications. I haven't got a very good CV. Um, so I started my own company in sportswear um, and learned a lot from it, good and bad. Um, typically, we were supplying running clubs with uh, sort of club vests and stuff. Um, and I sold that in 20, when I was 20, 24, 25, maybe. Um, and then I went into, started a, a media company um, with, with someone and we did amazingly well. Um, I sold that when I was 29 and that company still goes today. He's, he's doing great things with it. Um, and then six months later, um, after a very mini retirement, um, I ended up at Forest Green. And obviously you said that you left school at the age of 16 and didn't go to college, set up a few successful businesses. Obviously, it's not really a conventional path into a football club or any line of business really nowadays, Henry. But why do you think such paths are discouraged? Should we be doing more at a young Should we be doing more now as adults and role models to encourage the next wave of generation to take on conventional paths such as yourself? Yeah, I think I, I wouldn't necessarily encourage people to try and go unconventional. I think it'd be like my life would have been a hell of a lot um, smoother if I'd managed to follow a, a particular pathway. But um, no, it's definitely um, led to to what I've done in my life. I guess um, those those early those early um, findings in my teens, um, not fitting in with uh, I guess authority or education, it then pushed me down doing my own thing. But yeah, no, I have full respect to anyone that goes through. Um, the uni route um, like yourself um, or goes through um, you know extensive learning it just wasn't for me so I think the one thing we could do is definitely say that you don't like you don't have to go to university um, I think if you if you want to go to university because you want to f further explore um, 
different opportunities and, and certain subjects, then absolutely. But I don't think there should be a stigma against, you look on job adverts and it says uh, minimum requirement, uh, bachelor degree. You'll never see that on anything that I post. Um, for me, it's, it's all about um, experience and character. Yeah, and I think it rings true of um, Matthew Said's recent book on rebel ideas. It's that kind of divergent thinking. It's a new age, a new way of kind of um, thinking and getting as many different voices and diverse and diverse experiences in the room. And of course, being CEO for a screen rovers, they're not your typical football club. How does being a CEO for a screen compared to say being a CEO of other another business or another football club? It's not your typical. No, I mean I can't. I can't possibly say because I'm. I'm uh, I've only ran my own companies before. Um, but I would imagine it's it's more entrepreneurial than most um, most, especially football clubs at our level. Um, football clubs are typically um, quite habitual. Um, they have a board um, who are usually very experienced um, people, and then they have a sort of management structure below it. Ours is much more um, of an entrepreneurial setup. So. Um, we focus on something called um, autonomous accountability. So people doing their jobs, how they best see fit, managing their own time, managing, the, um, you know, as, as, you know, we give them KPIs and targets, but how they get there, I want to leave that up to people. So, but they have to take responsibility for good and bad um, and own it. So, yeah, we're very different in that sense. I would probably think of us a bit like a startup um, type mentality. Um, so, yeah, I'd imagine it's very different to other football clubs and other organisations. Um, but it's, it's the way we like to do things. And you speak of autonomous accountability. Just curious, um, how often would manage, management check in with the leads in relation to timescales and whatnot? Timescales I'm pretty hot on. Um, like, this, this, this is it. So for me, I would, I would set someone a deadline and a goal or a mission. So let's say we want to do a certain project. You've got until this time, here's the money. You know, in terms of the detail, I think you've got to leave that up to people. Otherwise, what's the point of hiring talented people if you're going to micromanage them so um yeah in terms of time scales and and and, and budgets then absolutely management take a particular interest in that but in terms of how people get to the to the end goal um i'm not too fussed and i think people should be allowed to uh, use their own creativity and treat their their sort of departments as their own sort of mini businesses and is that irrelevant of whether or not you're within the football side of the business or the commercial side i think it's I think it works on both sides. I mean, I speak to our director of football quite a lot and um, he runs a similar sort of um, uh, task, um, the way of doing things with um, football staff. Obviously, football players, I imagine, are different, but there's also an element of that you want. Um, you know, I, I won't speak for the head coach, but um, he's he's a great man manager um, and I imagine he practices something quite similar. But if you look at any of the, um, you know, the, the great organisations, I think um, they hire talented people and they let them get on and do their jobs. Yeah, and then, like, if we were to focus and zoom in more on your own job, Henry, I mean, you've had quite the introduction over the past three years. There's that famous adage of being in education, first you take the, first you learn the lesson, then you take the test, whereas in life, you take the test, then you learn the lesson. Over the past three years, I mean, you've had to navigate COVID, you've had to navigate the challenges of furlough and whatnot. I mean, what has been the biggest lesson you've learned today during your tenure in football? Um, I, I wouldn't say it's any of those things actually I think COVID was I found COVID quite it's not you know, I found it quite I found the challenge quite exciting um, because how can we still be profitable um, when 
our main product, which is opening the stadium and letting people come and watch a football match, is taken away from us. So we had to pivot. We focused on partnerships and retail. People were buying a lot of stuff sitting at home, but also partners were still getting loads of exposure because we switched more to digital exposure rather than your typical perimeter and match day stuff. So I think that challenge was probably really exciting to me. Um, in terms of um, biggest lesson, I think the one thing football is, and maybe other sports com- uh, clubs, is different to other industries is actually what you do during the week, as long as the book's balanced and things are good and people are happy, the most important thing is the result on a Saturday. Um, so it's how that affects the mood, um, not only of me, but of, of staff um, the following week. But typically we get over it quite quickly. And fortunately this season we, we've, we've done very well, so we've been happy more than not. And I suppose Forest Green has become renowned, I mean, for, you know, coming up with creative solutions to existing problems within the football industry. Do you think other clubs were perhaps as best equipped as you guys to deal with the situations that COVID brought? I think we were lucky in that we'd we'd started to turn a profit before COVID. So when I joined, the the club wasn't making a a profit. We've we've done some really good work to get to a point of that. So when that happened, we, we had a buffer. Um, we also focus hugely on partnerships. So partnerships have grown four times um, since I've been here in three years. Um, and like I said, partnerships are the one thing that weren't affected. Um, we actually increased our partnerships revenue during COVID. So I think, yeah, in that sense, maybe I could say I knew COVID was coming, but clearly I didn't. Um, but partnerships put us in really good stead. Um, whereas bigger, you know, clubs with bigger fan bases like Bradford and Bolton, et cetera, their main revenue will be from those match days. You know, Bradford in League Two are getting 16,000, 17,000 people a week, um, which is obviously mental, right? Um, whereas we're getting two and a half, three thousand people a week. So the effect on us was far smaller in terms of fans not being in the stadium. Obviously, we, we missed having them there, but in, from a financial impact, it, it didn't hit us anywhere near as hard. And then I suppose if you look at the current day, I mean, top of League Two, um, you have a huge global appeal to the football club. And as you alluded to earlier on, you've been turning over a profit of seven figures recently. Has that led to perhaps a greater aptitude for taking risks as opposed to, say, when you initially came into the club three years ago? Or was that always encouraged? I think it's always encouraged. I mean, um, our chairman, Dale Vince, is is the ultimate green entrepreneur, um, you know, very smart guy. Um, and yeah we didn't really have it was literally from my point of view we met we you know met a couple of times i took the role and i was literally given a phone and a laptop um with no no induction or anything and that's the way i would have wanted it because i'd never been employed at that point so i then went and managed it i've managed it like my own company and i always say this still i'd manage it like it's my own cash which is why i won't let it lose money which is why um we'll take sort of strategic risks but i think the main thing about uh, a sort of dynamic company like forest green is it's no red tape, doesn't they? If we come up with an idea in the morning, it will be done by lunchtime. Um, it's, it doesn't require loads of sign-offs and loads of board meetings and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think that's that's what gets you in the position. Otherwise, you just you're happy being. I, I, I've never let the word content, and I think you can be content with a certain level of business. And I think um, performance, and I just think that's that's not how we want to be, and that shows in our results. I think autonomous accountability is already going to be the title of the show anyways, Henry. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> but um, obviously, I mean, you guys have a huge vision and you're constantly backing it up with huge action. But I suppose to date, Henry, since you've been there, out of all the initiatives you guys have launched or proposed, 
what has been your proudest to date? It's a difficult one to answer because we, we, we typically do something different every day or every week. There's always something a bit um, a bit eye-catching or weird going on. Um, uh, I thought, from a marketing standpoint, I thought the innocent um, smoothies um, stadium naming rights thing was really interesting. Um, stadium naming rights typically quite quite dull. It's, it's the name of a company stuck on a stadium. Um, but we went through sort of public votes um, and there was a point where the stadium was going to be called Kevin because social media took over the votes and um, put Kevin in that. Ended up on Have I Got News For You. It ended up in Daily Mail. ended up in all sorts about uh, professional football club. Stadium's going to be called Kevin. Um, fortunately, the final vote went to our season ticket holders and they would never allow that to happen. Um, so I thought that was interesting. I think a lot of the work we do with our partners is interesting. I think the kit's made of coffee, the kit's made of bamboo. Um, all that kind of stuff um, is eye-catching and just shows us another way to do things whilst having fun with it. And I suppose besides having your stadium named Kevin or the possibility of it, I mean, the challenges, you know, they grow when the appeal and the global brand of the club also grows, grows as well. But there's a paradox too about Forest Green, right? You're in a parish there, a small community called Nailsworth, population no more than 4,000. But you somehow have over 100 international fan groups. I mean, for your international audience, Henry, what do you guys do to cater for that section? So, yeah, I, you know, I, I always say that we're the, actually the best supported club in the world. Because um, when you look at the, um, yeah, the relativity in terms of, uh, you mentioned 4,000 population in Nailsworth, our average home attendance is around about 3,000. So that means three quarters of the town come to Forest Green. Now, obviously, that's not true, but I use that in any sales pitch I can. Um, so in terms of the international fan clubs, we've, we've picked up, yeah, 120 or so over, um, yeah, over, over the years. Um, and we're trying to give them more content because they want to feel like they're in Nailsworth. They want to feel like they're at the games. They want to feel like they're eating vegan food. It's hard, um, especially at League Two level, because you haven't got the same budgets as maybe you would in the Premier League. Um, but we're working on some various things um, where we can give them more behind-the-scenes content. Um, but I think most of it, because we're still a small, smallish club in, in that respect, we like we're very open to them. So we get emails from international fans, we get Twitter messages, whatever. We'll always get back to them, um, and, and that's important. So we, we we don't we don't see ourselves as too big to be speaking to fans that we've got in American stuff because we're so privileged to have that. Um, and you'll see that with. Um, there's a couple of guys that do a, a podcast called Heaven's Devil. Um, if you haven't listened to it, check it out. It's, it's very funny. Um, by their own um, admissions, they're, 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 they're not knowledgeable about football at all, but they took an absolute um, passion to Forest Green and they do a podcast, I think, once a week. And we've opened up our doors and um, we've basically given them a different player or a different member of staff each week to interview. Um, oh. So I think Dale's done one, I've done one, then we've had loads of players, our director of football's done one. Um, and yeah, they just have a completely different spin on it because they, they, they're, they're so humorous in the way they do things. I think if people are, you know, if people want to show that kind of support to us and they buy our shirts and, you know, they, they engage us on social media, then we want to give back to them because they can't come to every match. So we need to give them some kind of cool experience. But I'd imagine it still led to a surge in the amount of day trippers you guys would have at home games, right? Yeah, plastics, no. Um, yeah, we, <laughs> no, we, we're very lucky. I reckon, um, we, we don't know the exact data. We have a lot of casual 
um, like have to come down because they want to try the vegan food. They want to come to a carbon neutral stadium, a carbon neutral um, environment. Um, and yeah, we're, we're very lucky with that because we wouldn't be able to, you know, get anywhere near filling that stadium based on our local population. Um, where we're based is typically Rugby County. Um, we've got Gloucester down the road, and then 20 miles the other way, we've got two teams in Bristol. Um, so it's not a big football location. Um, Nailsworth, you wouldn't ever expect to see a professional team there. Um, so yeah, we, we've got lots of local residents um, from within sort of like a, within Stroud district. But yeah, the rest of the rest of people fill, uh, that fill the stadium will be people that want to come and try out Forest Green because they've heard great things. And that, of course, lends itself to brand placement and obviously the sustained commercial growth of Forest Green Rovers. I don't suspect you guys have come up against too many possible cases of greenwashing sponsors looking to get involved for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, it's, it's, it's it, 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 we're quite fortunate in the fact that because we've we we don't know another way of doing things that um it's so like being being sustainable is so ingrained in our DNA and we wouldn't ever do anything just for publicity. And we have enough conversations with companies who who want to um, partner with us. You you very quickly figure out who's genuine and not. Um, so people often ask me, is there like a particular sort of protocol they have to follow or questionnaire they have to go through? There's not. No, we, we just have a nose for it now. Um, so, yeah, no, we wouldn't allow greenwashing, but it is quite prevalent in the market. And I think it will get more and more over the years now with things like COP and people's priority now focusing on um, you know green purchases. Um, but no, we, we've been fortunate that we haven't taken any wrong steps so far with that. And then moving forward to matters on the pitch this season, Henry. I mean, you guys seem to have the momentum with you. Two points clear at the top of League Two as we speak prior to this weekend's clash. And new manager, Rob Edwards. Um, how's he settling in? Seamlessly. He's he's completely different to what we've had before. Um, and yeah, he's been a breath of fresh air in terms of um, being around the club. Um, he's been great. Um, I, I haven't seen him put a foot wrong, um, personally. Um, He's, he's just um, yeah he's, he's great he's great on he's great obviously his, his work on the pitch but also just being around the club as I just mentioned he was at the fans we did a fans forum the other night um, and I've never seen such a positive fans forum in my life it was almost disconcerting because um, usually fans forums there's, there's a few moans and groans but no he, he's, he's great with fans he's, he's great with the players obviously um, and yeah I hope he sticks around for, for a long time and then I suppose it's a shining light and it's a great example to other football clubs that wish to follow in your wake that perhaps football performance and sustainability goals can coexist. I suppose with COP and climate change summits used now at the moment, it's very much relative. But just curious, in any way, shape or form, does, I suppose, the broader impact and the brand placement of Forest Green Rovers, does that impact player recruitment? managerial recruitment staff recruitment positively or negatively at all i don't think it would be negatively um and that's not me being um blinkered in it i think if anything it'd be positive um because we're very well known for a league two football club so we can give people certain exposure off the pitch um and i think also within football it's a short career people want to try something new um so they come to us for a couple of years they they you know they they, they tried more vegan food they they learn about a different way of living um, so no, we've never had any, as far as I'm aware, negative, um, negative kickback from players or, or staff. If anything, it's only been positive um, and we probably recruit better talent because of it. And then I've heard you in previous podcasts and interviews before, Henry, saying the ultimate aim is to end up in the championship. 
Um, how far away do you see that goal? Is it in the rear view mirror? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, um, no, we, we don't put a time scale on it. It will happen. Um, it will 100% happen. Um, we're conscious that if it, if it happened whilst we're at our current stadium, the stadium would fall apart. Um, even on a big match, then we'll, we'll, we'll play Bristol Rovers in... Uh, is it a week's year? We're playing Bristol Rovers in a week's time next Saturday. They've sold out the away end. We'll get you know pretty close to selling out the, the home ends. Um, and just the traffic around that place um, is is horrendous. And uh, you know, we try and do everything we can. We put on park and rides. Um, we try and traffic manage as much as we can, but it's not, it's not when, when Dale bought the club back in 2010, I think they were getting about 700 fans. So when we've got a crowd of four and a half thousand fans, the, you know, the, the local hamlets and parish, like you mentioned, just, you know, they, they can't cope. So yeah, we will get to the championship, um, sooner, the better, obviously, but we're not in a rush because we know that actually, um, when we get there, we want to make sure that we're in the right position to stay there. You guys obviously have the new stadium, Eco Park on the horizon. You also have updates to the training ground, I'm correct in assuming. Um, how are both projects progressing at the moment, Henry? Training grounds is closer than the stadium. Um, we expect work to start on the training ground in the new year. Um, so that will be ready for next season at some point. Um, stadium, uh, I think I think we'll, I, I asked Dale this the other day and he still believes we'll be in there in three to four years. So um, maybe another three seasons at our current home um, and then move to Eco Park. So it's such a, such a sort of innovative project of you know, a stadium made fully out of wood. Um, it's never been done before. There's going to be some hiccups, but you know, we'll get it done and we'll get it done on time and budget when that time comes. And zooming out now, what is the overall future looking like for Forest Green Rovers? Because thus far today, if you're painting, it's a pretty nice sight, what I'm seeing on the horizon. Yeah, we're in a good place. Um, but football's like I, I've learned that football can change so quickly. Um, we could lose tomorrow at Hartlepool away, and I could start thinking, "Oh God, that's it." But then we might, you know, win two games in the, on the trial. Football's such a such a funny environment. Um, so I think on the pitch we'll get to the championship. That's that future. Off the pitch, we we're just going to keep being um, as sort of creative as we can um, to offer a great place uh, for fans and staff to to come and try something different. Um, and yeah, the, the more profit we can make, the more we can invest in the team and, and things like the new stadium. And then going forward, looking at yourself, Henry, and your own future, I mean, could you ever envisage yourself working for another club, perhaps that would not have as similar a powerful message, mission or purpose for the future? Never thought about it. Um, I, 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 don't, I, I don't think I could go and work at a club that's got, yeah, no ethics, no morals, no, um, no focus on sustainability. I think that would it, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable in that. Um, but no, I haven't thought about what happens to me in the future at all. I take each day as it comes. Um, and yeah, good things can happen. And then two bits of advice to close on the show. For any small grassroots club, what is the first thing they could do today, perhaps to enhance their own sustainability goals and improve the environment around them? Yeah, it's a good question. Actually, we're working with a couple of uh, associations with grassroots clubs um, to offer some guidance where we can. The main tip I'll give anyone, small or big, is do something. Like, don't don't be put off by how expensive it might be or how complex it might be. <clears throat> I was liking it. If you're going to go to, if let's say you want to go on a diet, you're going to do it in the new year, but you don't know where to start. You don't know what gym where to buy, what food to prepare, etc. People end up talking themselves out of it. And I think sustainability is a bit like that. So I think the grassroots clubs, single-use plastics, 
massive thing. You go and stand and, you know, if you go and watch a Sunday league team, there's plastic bottles everywhere. Um, they can also look at um, what their kit's made out of. So polyester is effectively plastic. So, it, you know, now you can get recycled plastic kits um, or you can get a kit like we've done out of coffee, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, I think the main thing for any organization, big or small, is control what you can control because that will have the biggest impact. Don't worry about things necessarily straight away that you can't control. You can focus on that down the line, but focus on the really quick and easy wins. And then for the final piece of advice and final question to close the show, Henry, what piece of advice would you have for those individuals that would love to thread a similar path to yourself? I wouldn't just say tread the same path, um, but uh, if you mean in terms of ending up in football or ending up running a company or whatever um i think just keep going people and also just do something now like the amount of people that speak to me about they want to start a, a company etc and they're going to plan it and they're going to do it in two years when when different stars align they never do it like you're better off just doing something now and growing it and evolving and you, you only learn when you start doing things you don't learn by planning things um in theory so yeah and i think also don't I think don't be afraid to also compromise to, to get into what you want to do. So if you start a company, typically you will lose money at the start and you're certainly burning less than if you were in, in uh, full-time employment. So that's a compromise, right? But it's the bigger picture. So the, the end goal is that you'll earn more money if that's your focus. Football is the same. Football typically doesn't pay as much as other industries. So if you really want to get into football, you need to get into it. You need to reduce your salary. You need to, as an example, you need to um, then build up and get yourself to the level where that it's, it's just there's so many people trying to get in football, but effectively there's 72 employers in this country or 92 employers in this country, sorry. So there's, there's 92 individual jobs. It takes some, you have to think a little bit different. You have to compromise a little bit if you want to get into football. And once you're in there, you, you make it your own and um, you see how far you can go. And it's very much first principles based thinking and it's that approach which has ensured your sustained success for us Green Rovers sustained success not only this season for the past few years and I'm sure for the very near future um, Henry thanks a million for coming on I know you live I know you give a lot back to the football community we've been in conversation for over two years now at this stage and you're always good for advice so thanks for coming on and for everyone listening I'm going to link absolutely everything to Forest Green Rovers in the show notes thanks Henry cool thanks Colin